Welcome to the Once in Future Authors podcast. I'm Stephanie, and I'm so delighted to have with me, well, she's not just an author. Amy Bernstein is, she says, a writer, a daydreamer. She hears music in her head. I'm like so excited to meet anyone who hears music in their head. So please welcome Amy. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Stephanie. I'm really delighted to be here. I appreciate it. Gosh, I, I love I love your description of yourself. You know, I, I, I know you from your like businessy description, but what you write on your website is so much cooler. So tell me a little <laughs> bit about you so we can dive right in. You know, I, I wear so many hats. I feel like different people on different days. Um, I'm also a book, a certified book coach. So I help people who are writing nonfiction um, to try and, um, you know, find their best path to publishing. And then I'm writing across genres in fiction. And on days when I'm not doing that, I'm often posting uh, essays on medium, sometimes bearing my soul, sometimes ranting. And when I'm not doing that, I'm writing poetry. Um, so I, I do tend to be all over the map. But the thing is, I say, you know, um, why limit yourself? Absolutely. Now, it's funny. I knew you as a book coach of nonfiction and um, knowing all these other creative outlets, I'm just intrigued because book coach for nonfiction could be pretty, you know, factual, nuts and bolts. Let's make a, you know, a vision board and figure out where this is going. You also book coach or, or write fiction as well? Right. So I'm, I write novels, but um, the reason that I have the nonfiction stuff in my portfolio is I also have a background as a journalist, as an executive speechwriter, a lot of years in government. And, you know, I love translating the tough stuff. I mean, I'm looking for nerds and wonks who want to share what they know uh, with the world and kind of go through that translation. Um, so I, I love that stuff. But um, my own writing practice, um, there's a lot of a lot of a lot of fiction in there and poetry well you and I are of the same mind because I I love learning so whenever I work with someone who's writing nonfiction on a topic I know nothing about I always feel like look at me now I'm the expert on whatever that book was about <laughs> what I love was, that too what was the furthest away subject that you ever ended up worrying like something you'd say I never thought in a million years I would kind of become the Jeopardy expert on this subject. That is such a good question. It, it happened, it's outside of my book coaching practice, but when I was working in government, um, I was working on incredibly technical material and then I would I would eventually fall in love with it and want to really understand it. So I worked in the transportation field for several years and there was a window of time there when I could really talk nuts and bolts about um, uh, public trans transportation and what you have to go through to get systems built and a lot about the different kinds of um, capacities and train sets and the engineering and environmental designs and and also the, the legal side and uh, uh, you know some of the policies and the law. So there was a there was a moment there where I I, I seemed to know a, a, a little bit about a lot of things. Interesting. For, for me, years and years ago on our on our technical end, I was working with an airplane parts company mm -hmm. and they were making parts for like F-22s and whatever they were. And, and at one point they sent, you know, hundreds of pictures of parts and I had to kind of match them to the plane in order to make this website. And I said, look at me. I know which rudder goes on which plate or whatever. Right. It might be. So right. 
at that gleaming moment in time, you could have asked me anything. Of course, now I'm lucky I know which door to go in. Well, right, because it kind of goes into our short-term memory, doesn't it? I mean, we know it, we know it when we need to know it, and then we kind of stop knowing it at a certain point. There's only so much room in there, isn't there? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it gets a little crowded in there if you keep all of it. Uh, there's a line from Sherlock Holmes that uh, Watson, you know, asked him, you know, do you know how deep Lake Titicaca is or something? And he said, you know, no idea. Don't know, don't care. And uh, so Watson told him and he said, thank you. And I shall promptly forget it because there's no room for that kind of extraneous knowledge in here. That's right. you. You have so much in there that as soon as you finish a project, you must feel as if you have to kind of shelve it so that you can make room for more. Suppose that's true. You know, I do a lot of research for my fiction as well, because the journalism, the journalist in me loves to dig deep into things. And so I love what I decide I need to learn to write fiction. And I'm trying to hold on to that. But it's true as I as I get into a new book, you know, I have to put my head into that book and not think about the the earlier stuff. Exactly. Tell me a little bit about research, because for most people, research begins and ends by just simply typing something into Google. Uh, but for someone like you, who is not only trained and experienced, but you know, not works with people, works with your own books, what, what are some research things beyond the Google, shall we say, or, or even with Google, but I'm sure you know how to work Google better than just typing in a word. <laughs> well, we're all experts at that. And, and also Wikipedia, right? Which is which is actually surprisingly helpful. But um, yes, I love finding obscure sources and primary and secondary sources. So I've done some deep dives into things like, um, you can find um, a lot of out of print book, books that do, Google has digitized, but you're looking at the actual book and it's something really old and obscure. I've, I have delved into, um, uh, uh, obscure and out of print journals. Um, I for uh, my um, paranormal romance, which is steeped in archaeology. I did a lot of reading of things like Antiquities Journal and Archaeology Magazine, which are uh, chock full of incredible articles about about things that are being found around the world. I love doing that, and I give myself permission to kind of go down those rabbit holes and get lost. And for one of my other books that's coming out later this summer, the Potrero Complex. I um, actually interviewed uh, an expert in an area that I, I needed a character to have a certain background. I wanted him to have a certain background. And I interviewed this guy who was perfect because he, he gave me the, the point of view of what it would be like to be that person with that kind of knowledge. So I was able to, I think, capture that a little more realistically. That was fun. I'd like to do more of that, talk to real human beings to sort of bring something into a fictional character that comes from a real person. I love that. And I don't think people think about that firsthand when they're writing that, you know, hey, if you're writing somebody who has these characteristics, why not meet someone just like that? I mean, actors do that when they're trying to embrace a character. So we writers should do that as well. It really helps because for this particular character, for example, um, he's a very, very high level computer programmer. And one of the little tiny tidbits that created so, so much important color and veracity to the scenes with him is that um, programmers, a lot of them, they'll always have at least two monitors and they tend to rely on, you think that they're going to have like the most up-to-date whiz-bang um, computers, but no, they like the really sort of old workhorse, reliable, plain computers, as long as they have lots of storage. So I was able to get a sense of, oh, so he's got two monitors on his desk and he uses a beat up keyboard and it was very real. So I really like that. 
Yeah, and if someone had told you that, you might not have believed them. Right. Now that you've mentioned what it's about, I do have to ask you, I, I have here a cup, copy of your book cover for that book. Oh my goodness, I love, love the cover. Can you tell me a little bit about what inspired it? And you're talking about the Potrero Complex? Yes. Yes, because the Nighthawkers on my website, as you can see, the cover's a little bit cut off. Yes, um, no, the Nighthawkers, yeah, it is cut off. Right. The Potrero Complex, you're, now that you're talking about what it is in the computer, and right. this and that, I'm intrigued. Right. <laughs> well, um, it's, it is a post-pandemic murder mystery. Mm. And um, it's it's really about um, a traumatized journalist who tries to start fresh, only to get caught up in finding out why teenagers are disappearing from a small town. Oh, you know, the cutout um, that that they they made such a brilliant cover because the cutouts on the cover reflect an aspect of the, the mystery in the book and how things are being communicated. Um, so it's it's really um definitely has the elements of a mystery thriller, but it's also wrapped in a reflection of a society coming out of a pandemic even worse than ours, and the effects that that has on kind of um, uh, rights and laws. So it's kind of, an, it's an exploration of society as much as it is characters and, and a mystery at its heart. And I love to bring all those things together in, in fiction. Oh, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I found here a, a better cover of the Nighthawkers, which I see is going to be released next month. Yes, the Nighthawkers is coming out June 6th. Thank you for doing that. Oh, yeah. And I, I guess I should go back to my website and figure out why I didn't get a full um, <laughs> a full picture. Um, and um, the Nighthawkers is out June 6th. And this month, starting today, um, I have a Goodreads giveaway on Goodreads. I'd love for people to enter. Just come in and find the book on Goodreads and enter the giveaway. I'm giving away print copies, not just e-copies. And Ooh. the, the Nighthawkers is um, a paranormal romance. And so it's about an archaeologist, hence all the archaeology research, which I love. Right. An archaeologist who must choose between her handsome first lover and the irresistible stranger who helps her discover a powerful destiny. Oh. And I would say that, you know, that story is really about, it's about feeling lost and learning that you can't choose the right partner for you until you know yourself. Mm. So I'm, I'm trying to weave those stories together. Uh, I think it's a, I think it's a fun read. Um, it's a, it's, it's got a little of sort of mystical whimsy in it. And um, um, I had so much fun combining some real archaeological stuff with magical stuff that I just completely went off the deep end and made up. <laughs> oh, well, I'm such a geek. I love the sound of that. And I love hearing that it's so well researched. There's nothing worse than reading a book and thinking, I don't think that that's actually true. Did you ever have that feeling reading someone else's book and you're reading, even if it's fiction, and you say, wait a minute, that's not actually a fact or whatever it might be. I know it's well, a fictional story, but I'd like the facts to be facts. So I appreciate your research. Well, it raises such an interesting question about, you know, it's, it's incumbent on the author to create a believable world. So everything in that world has to be believable enough. And, and you have to have that bargain with the reader to suspend um, disbelief so that if you are making things up, as I'm as I do in the Nighthawkers, well, actually, the Potrero Complex as well, you go, you're, you are along for the ride, you know, you accept that bargain. 
Absolutely. But if you are going to cite something that is real, if you're going to, you know, name a town in Maine that, you know, is on this particular highway, either it exists or doesn't, but if it exists, it should be, you know, accurate. Don't, don't just, you know, Agreed. It. you know what I'm saying? Agreed. <laughs> So you've got a bunch of things on the docket. What other projects do you have up your sleeve? You sound like I'm lucky you were free enough to see me this morning. No, <laughs> no, it's it's not it's not quite like that. There are a lot of hours in the day, after all. Um, well, you know, I I am I am between between Nighthawkers and the Potrero Complex. So between the romance this spring and the kind of serious mystery thriller this summer, I am releasing um, another another book called Dreams of Song Times. And and, you know, this is a book where everybody in the in the in the sort of the publishing world tells you not to do this. It's hard to classify. So it's not really just one genre because it is a fantasy about a, a young woman who's part mermaid and part human. But it's also really an exploration a lot about sort of social justice and feeling feeling outside of, of the mainstream and trying to belong and assimilate. So it's pretty wild and it's definitely geared more toward an adult audience because dreams of song time song times even though a mermaid book always sounds like it's going to be a, like a friendly kind of a thing <laughs> well there's some violence in there and there's some sex in there and there is some death in there Ooh, um i want to stress nice. there's no there's no sexual violence i want to be very 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 clear about that when i use both those terms in a sentence i don't want people to suddenly think oh well you know i'm I'm not going there because that that's definitely not what happens. Right, but right. it's a it's it's a crazy crazy wild ride. So that will be out July fifth. Everything's well, on my it, website. It, it's <laughs> rough when here it is the cover so that everyone can find that one. Dreams of song times. Uh, that sounds very interesting. But like you said, hard to categorize, isn't it? Yes, it is hard to categorize. And so I don't know yet whether what readers are going to think that it is. Um, and I will be very interested to see um, see how that lands. Hmm, interesting, interesting. If it lands well, will there be more continuing saga? Are you a, are you a series? Or are you a, let me do one? And yeah. I'm so far a one-off kind of a writer and I've given it some thought, but I feel like after, for me, after I've lived with that story and those characters, I'm always ready to go on to sort of the next event, the next fresh adventure. But okay. let me say, I, I have so much admiration for writers who write series, but I, th I think that they have incredible, first of all, incredible stamina, but also incredible imaginations to keep those stories going. And who knows, maybe I'll do that someday, but not so far. Well, certainly from a, a marketing sales point or just trying to get people involved, you have a, a steep curve when it's a one-off that you have to get them in quickly, like there's no buildup. So it uh, puts a lot of onus on you to make sure that they sound enticing in your blurbs and all that other to get them in. Do you use beta readers or other people to, to make sure that there is enticing enough or? I, I am well aware. Well, you know, well, I'm well aware that beta readers are an outstanding tool that writers should take advantage of. And let's be clear, a beta reader is not your best friend or your mother or your sister. A beta reader is um, someone else who's probably also an author, even someone who writes not in your genre, who can give you very constructive and right. positive and honest feedback about how your book is, how your book is sort of landing with the reader. 
I have not been doing that. And I, and I will only, I will only say, and that doesn't, so I'm not following a best practice and I just won't <laughs> own up to it. I will say that, you know, um, the Wild Rose Press and Regal House Publishing, which are bringing out two of my novels, um, you know, gave me excellent editorial attention. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I think that I submitted manuscripts that were in very good shape and we obviously, you know, tweaked those and fine tuned them to make them as good as they could be. Um, uh, so I, I, didn't follow that best practice and I, I seem to have come out okay all right but it is it is a very good idea it is a good idea but certainly because you are submitting you have people who are reading it alone and in teams and and checking over your yes program. so yes you know, I, I always say it's you know a, a best practice whether it is actual beta readers whether it is your sister and your mother or in your case you're submitting them to you know, developmental editors who would know better if there was a problem of right. just that there is some sort of a barrier between you and yeah, it's fine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, well, one thing don't have any barrier, and I'm I'm well, glad to do that. One of the hard lessons I really have learned over writing several books is that um, you, as the writer, um, you are not the best judge of your own work you're not the best judge of what's working and what's not working and you really need that third party critical eye um, to tell you where things need to be rewritten improved changed whatever whatever it takes um, and you know we authors should not be falling in love with our with our work we certainly should not be falling in with our drafts oh, falling in love with our drafts so you know, it's so hard not to though isn't it yes I'm so glad to have someone like you say that it means something though people right. people will listen because uh people do fall in love with their drafts they say nope change nothing not a comma not a nothing well, you have to love your children, but you just don't want to love them too much. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about all these ideas. I mean, writing one-offs means that you're always, always looking for fresh ideas. Are you looking for them? Are they finding you? You said you're a daydreamer. Are you a daydreamer and a night dreamer so that they just whack you in the head? <laughs> I wish I wish there were that much crystal clarity to it. I, I wish I were one of those people who, you know, wakes up and, and they said, oh, you know, I had a dream and I'm going to write the whole story down. No, yeah, not so much. Um, I don't think I don't think my dreams would make very coherent stories. Uh, you know, I honestly cannot. I think that I I think I pull things from so many different places. I mean, sometimes maybe it's something that I read in the news or maybe an idea just comes to me or maybe it's something that's just been in the back of my head for a long time. Um, and then it sort of comes to, to the to forward. And, you know, I have ideas that I play with and then I, leave, then I abandon. I think you're looking for what feels sticky mm. to you as a writer and some things are gonna end up feeling sticky and some things are not. Um, and, um, Sometimes it, you just also have to be incredibly determined. I, I, I will mention that with the Nighthawkers, the paranormal romance that's coming out June 6th, I started that book um, easily, uh, easily a couple of years ago, I think, you know, before the pandemic. And I got probably about a third of the way in, maybe somewhere around there. And I really wanted to tell the story. And I really woke up one day and I said to myself, I said, self, this is not working. This is crap. It's Ooh. so boring. You wrote yourself into a corner. It's awful. And at that point, you're either going to start over because you so want to tell that story or you're going to walk away. I started over and I got it and I eventually got it right. And I'm so glad I stuck with it. Oh, good for you for realizing it was crap. A lot of people don't. They really, you know, I always try to kind of equate it with 
uh, going off on a hiking trail. And if you're hiking and hiking and hiking, and as you're going on, you feel like, wow, this trail has gotten a lot of undergrowth. Wow, I'm whacking things out of there. I can barely see the trail. You probably lost the trail miles back. Like you don't even know that. And, and you can just keep pushing, 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 and you get scratched up and everything else. Or you could recognize the fact that, yeah, you're off the trail. Go back, find your car and start again on the right. right trail. And that's exactly what you did with this book, but good for you. Not easy. You know, a lot of people, you're a book coach. You know, a lot of people who just keep pressing forward. Well, exactly. You know, and as a book coach, one of the things that you help to bring do with, with a writer, you're not editing their work. You're really to help helping them find that path structurally and, and sort of stay on it. Um, which is so important because it's your, your metaphor is so apt. You really can get so lost uh, and you don't even know where you're going with your story anymore. And you have to kind of pull back. And Yeah. Yeah. H how do people know? How did you know? Did you wake up every morning and was it, was it in the, coming in the form of, I'll say writer's block and you just felt like I can't do this any longer or, or did you look back and read and say, I don't even want to read this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I literally could feel myself writing myself into a corner where I where where the energy of the story, it's like a train that maybe it came out of the gate at a pretty good clip. And then it was just like slowing down and slowing down and like huffing and puffing. And I felt myself trying to like create scenes to breathe some life back into it. Mm. And I I just felt instinctively that I had sort of written it to its death like i just brought it to i said you know what this isn't right they they shouldn't this these main characters shouldn't be here doing this they should be probably over here doing that it's like why did i bring this other character in i'm trying to save something that's broken i i really think it was just instinct and i'm really glad that i i you know i'm glad i stopped when i did and i'm glad i just went back to the drawing board um and i did a tremendous as i usually do a lot of outlining and character sketches and arc th th thoughts about story arcs and that kind of thing I mean, you and I both, whether it's uh, books or even television sitcoms, you've seen a million episodes that you say, yeah, they went too far. Like they, th this should have ended last season. And like you said, they kept plowing forward and putting out scenes and you're saying, yeah, this should have ended. I've, I've seen entire seasons of shows that should have never been written. Or uh, I was just at the theater last week and, and thought you could have ended this play 25 minutes ago. We would have all clapped, but you just had to write those last 25 minutes for no reason. You know, it happens professionally, you know? So there, there are plenty of writers who are stuck in that same boat and afraid nobody wants to throw away five, 10, 25,000 words. Was it scary when you hit delete or what did you do? No, I know when I set it aside and I, I don't even remember how long of a break I took. I think I just I, I interrogated myself and said, huh, am I done with this or do I want to get it right? And in this case, I said, I want to get it right. Oh. Um, and so and so, you know, I mean, and that's that's not an uncommon path. And it's just all about slogging through the uncertainty until you get to a place of, of greater certainty. I mean, many books I've written, I really, I'm three quarters of the way through and I say, I don't know if this is going to work. And I've read famous writers who felt the same way. Mm -hmm. They've gotten very far and they're like, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if this is, I can even end it. And, you know, you just, fight, you try to fight your way out of the, you know. You are absolutely right. Absolutely right. But you have to be in tune to that. You know, if you just keep, like you said, slogging forward, <laughs> yeah. you're not really in tune to that. 
Well, let's talk about your book coaching for a moment. Is there a book that you, you kind of wish uh, we're just going to put it out there because I'm a huge manifestation person. Like, for example, I know for myself, uh, our publishing company is published on six continents. We are missing one continent. So lately, every show I do, I say, if anybody knows someone in Antarctica personally, please, please give me an introduction. We're going to see if they want to write a book so we can go seven continents. So what do you want to put out there? Is there something in a nonfiction, oh, gosh, if that phone would ring and somebody wants to come to me in this area or that area? Is there something out there you're waiting for? Yes, I can give it to you both hypothetically and based on something I read. And what an amazing question that is. And I wish I could be even better prepared for that question. Um, I live in Baltimore, which is the home to the... Um, the Space Science Telescope Institute, which has launched the Hubble and also uh, the James Webb um, Telescope, the one with the many, many, many mirrors that are extraordinarily far out in space and basically exploring the near origins of the universe. Now, I don't under understand the first thing about astrophysics physics in interstellar space, but I think that there have been many, many, many good books written on these things for a lay audience. But it would be a dream for me to be able to work with somebody who's sort of a star expert, but also has some kind of poetry in their soul and really wants to help tell the story about how this work is being done and what we might really see and learn in a way that any reader could pick up and, and understand it and sort of to translate that jargon and that very deep inside technical knowledge into into um, language and perspective that can get us all on board and excited. I love that. I want to work with the, the 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 nerds and the wonks who know so much, but a lot of it doesn't always just get sort of shared with the outside world. And I was reading recently, and I'm sorry, I don't remember her name. There's a brilliant writer. Um, she might even be here in Maryland who's written several books about um, about about trees and how they how the root systems communicate. And to work with someone like that, now she's apparently done just fine on her own, but to work with someone like that who, who or like maybe the mycelial network of, 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 of mushroom systems, this notion of the incredible things that are out there in the world, in nature, in, in the physical world around us, that those sto they're stories that need to be told. And I would love to help writers tell those stories. Oh, that, that story I definitely want to read. I am so about those networks. There's a network in Utah that I'm dying to see called Pando, that all of the trees are interconnected and they're actually right. clonal. So it's one of the largest living organisms in the world. And, and the thought of someone assisted by you getting into the actual story of that, that is definitely a book waiting to be written. That's for sure. Yes. So now we've put that out into the universe. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Okay. I can't imagine that if I had sent you that question in advance, you were going to answer it any better than you just did. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I'm all for it. Put it out there in the universe. Now, Amy, you do have to promise me that when those people call you and those books are coming out, that not only I want to be there at the book, the book launch and signing, I want to be right there saying, I started that one. I I was instrumental in this book coming out here, but you're actually going to be back on the podcast because we're going to talk about that. That's exciting. It's a, it's a date, Stephanie, and I promise to give you the biggest shout out in the world. So oh, I'm going to love that. I'm going to be spreading it all over. Manifestation, everybody get on the show and talk about what you're looking for. That's just fabulous. So I know you've got these fiction books that I assume if the uh, if they're ready for pre-release already and I could click on the button and buy it today. I'm guessing those were already written. So is there anything that's on your computer right now half done or is there some thought that you wanna give us a little preview? 
I, I don't, I don't think I'm ready. I will say that um, okay. I'm trying to, I'm trying to work on two. One is I'm trying to write, I'm trying to create something that we would consider more literary fiction, me meaning the hardest thing I've ever tried to write. Um, <laughs> it's big and serious and it's in such an early stage that I, I can't talk about it. The other one may turn, the other one may turn into, um, it, if I am able to pursue it, it'll be a, it'll be a YA young adult um, novel. And um it told in alternating voices between um, about a 12 year old and her um, partially estranged grandmother. And so you get both, you get them each telling a story of a kind of a journey that they take together. But that also is such early, such early days, you know, yeah, and, and no uh, you know, you, no you never know, you know, you know, you never know. I love how you just described literary fiction. <laughs> I'm going I'm to live with that one. If it's really big and heavy and the hardest thing you've ever written, it must be literary fiction. Because people right. say that to me. You know, people will ask me, well, I understand what romance is. I understand what mystery is. What's literary fiction? I'm going to go with the Amy Bernstein. <laughs> um, that's going to be my definition forever. The biggest, heaviest, hardest thing you've ever written now is literary fiction. Awesome. Well, not to give not to give literary fiction a bad rap, but for me, that's what the lift feels like. It does. It does. And just as you were saying it, I was laughing because I was thinking of all of the books that I would definitely say, yep, that does that earned it. That earned it. And sometimes people will say, is this? And now I realize that I subconsciously had a little line in my own sand, how I determined whether it was or it wasn't. And you just jumped right in my head and told me what that line was. And I so appreciate that. <laughs> well, the, you know, the definition I always read about literary fiction is it's less driven by plot than it is by sort of um, uh, ideas and kind of the atmosphere of the thing. Yes. Um, and, you know, it, so it may not have that page turning quality, but I think you and I have both read books that would be called literary fiction that still have, that still page turners. I mean, I think Maggie O'Farrell's Hamnet, which I read re quite recently, is a great example of literary fiction um, because of the way that it's written. It's sort of very elevated and there's a lot of kind of um, heightened and sophisticated use of language and, and the way the scenes are written. And yet it's practically a page turner. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and certainly people who are writing great literary fiction, like the one you cited, um, are not uh, afraid of plot, you know? <laughs> right. They, they certainly want people to want to read just as much as the rest of us. So, no, that was a great description. And you're absolutely right. Uh, now, next time I'm telling you, next person who comes to me and wants to know what is literary fiction? I'm telling you. Well, I do want to make sure that all of our viewers know where to find you. Certainly, you could just drop her into Google and you'll find all of her books. But um, amywrites.live is That's it. a great website. You can sign up here at amywrites.live, join her email list, find out about all these things. There is plenty of stuff coming right down the, the pike here. The Nighthawkers uh, is coming out on June 6th. I'm just going to scroll a little bit lower here because July 5th, Dreams of Song Times, just in time that you can be right there on the beach reading about the mermaid as well. And then finally in August, uh, the Potrero Complex is going to be coming out. So it is going to be a busy summer that you can keep busy just reading Amy Bernstein. So <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> right through the summer, right through the summer. There you go. Put in your beach bag. You're done. 
such a pleasure having you. I can't wait until these new books come out, especially the ones that you and I worked on together on this podcast. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Stephanie, what a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for having me on the program. I really, really enjoyed the conversation. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. And you and I will absolutely keep in touch. Terrific. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye.